Good morning. We are engaged in a series in which we are discussing the different uh, structure of the church. We're looking at first elders and then deacons and then picking on me for a week. And then we're moving on to if you are a young or older woman or if you're a young or older man. And then talking about the head of the church who is the Christ. And so this week in particular has been somewhat of a challenge discussing what I want to say about the role of the minister or the preacher of the congregation because it's hard to pick on yourself only so much. And so looking at the role of the preacher this week, there's a bunch of different ways in which I could discuss this this particular topic. Uh, I have an outline in my volume of sermon outlines in which I talk about the work of the preacher or the role of the preacher, and I've only got 15 points, Um, and they are full points. And so I figured it might be best if I restructure my thoughts around something a bit more simple so we're not here for the next two hours. So you're welcome for that in in advance. So the work of the preacher, I, I will admit, is quite difficult for me to discuss and to for you to understand what my role is within the body of Christ here in this area, uh, because the hats that a preacher wears in local ministry, as I'll call it, uh, will be dependent on what role I'm supposed to be filling at any given moment. Now, my favorite part of the job, I will tell you, is doing this right here, standing before you, usually on Sundays or a Wednesday, and discussing and opening up the Word of God and sharing what I've learned through, uh, about the text and showing you the application and to give you something that will better connect you to your Creator and to your Lord Jesus and then give you something to stay encouraged throughout the week, something to share with somebody else who may not know the things that you may maybe already know. That's my favorite part, is because I fell in love with the Word of God when I was a 15-year-old kid. I had never cracked the spine before. I was looking for the truth. And when someone gave me my first copy of a King James Version study Bible, I was just enthralled by learning what this book was all about. And so I was so motivated to learn about this book, I figured out there was a job you could have where I thought the entirety of the job was just to learn more about this Bible and share it with people. And that, for the most part, is what being a preacher is, sharing the Word of God with anyone that you can come in contact with. It be a structured way like this or unstructured when you have conversations out in the real world. But I've learned, of course, that being a preacher is much more than that when it comes to how we see that profession, we see that role, we see that title. Uh, You can be a counselor, you can be a wedding officiant, you can be a funeral director, for a lack of a better title for that. Uh, You can be someone that is there engaged with the youth and trying to encourage them when it comes to scripture and how to live a moral and pure life before God in their youth. There are so many different hats that we have to wear from time to time And actually for that, I'm quite thankful. The idea of doing something that I've never done before or doing a thing that I'm not that great at and stretching my character and enabling my abilities to grow through experience is something that I'm extremely grateful for. 
And so the role of a preacher in our modern context of what we think a preacher should be doing is much more than what the Bible talks about a preacher is supposed to be. But for that, I am still very thankful. So what I want to do to kind of focus our thoughts, instead of talking about all the different hats that I sometimes have to wear, is just go back to the scriptures, open up the word of God, and see what a preacher is supposed to do. Now before we go to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, which is going to be our first text of, of the morning, I do want to say that we have to keep in mind, within the context of looking to the New Testament for our example for a model preacher, we have to keep in mind the, the state of the church. I'll just put it that way. The church was in its so-called infancy. Things were still being established and grounded and discussed and led by the Holy Spirit to inspired people to talk about what a congregation of the Lord's body would look like. And in doing so, there is some bleed of what the role of a preacher is versus what the role of an apostle was in the first century. And so keep that in mind that what we have solidified to be the role or the work of the preacher is sometimes rolled into the work of the apostle, but of course keep in mind that the authority of the apostles did not transfer to any one preacher past that first generation. So, Ephesians chapter 4, let's turn there together. Beginning in verse 11, the apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesian congregation and inform them about the structure of the first century church. This is not necessarily the, the, the structure of the church that we have in our century, but it was what got the church started when it comes to leadership, and it even gives a mission statement. We see companies and corporations using mission statements to keep the main thing the main thing. The same thing is true about the church. So Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the ones that were sent, literally, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Let's just pause there and kind of unpack that just for one moment. You have the apostles, we have the original 12, and then they added one in Acts chapter 1, and then Paul came along in due time. You have the prophets, those who by the gift of the Holy Spirit could speak without fallacy, the word of God through inspiration. You have the evangelists, those that their mission, their job, their role was to share the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. You have the shepherds, and that's the same role, the poi men from the Greek, that we find that the elders fit that role from our first lesson, and the teachers, those who could literally send forth a message to equip the saints, meaning those who are sanctified, meaning all Christians, for the work of ministry. And that word ministry, it comes from that Greek where we talked about last week involving the idea of what a deacon was or a servant. And so you have the structure of the first century church, including apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, and then everybody else, the saints, those who are sanctified, for the work of service or ministry. To keep reading here in our context, for building up the body of Christ, to strengthen what the congregation or the church looks like, then here's the finish line, until we all attain to the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the end goal. That's the purpose. That's the finish line. And if you really look at that and see what the point is, that's a long way away for any body of Christ to achieve that particular goal. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or perfection, in other words, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's where we are trying to get. If you've asked yourself, why are we doing such a longer study of church structure, it's because that is our charge. That is our command to get to the point to where when we read the end of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, that describes this particular congregation. And we have some work to do. It takes everyone pulling their weight and doing their role to be able to reach that finish line together. So the idea of the elders being involved, the deacons being involved, the preacher being involved, and every single one of you, no matter how you categorize yourself, being involved is key. So let's begin talking about, or continue rather, talking about the idea of what a preacher is by looking at three particular points this morning. And we're going to be rolling through this, this in somewhat of a quicker manner than before because I'm pretty sure when it comes to the job of a preacher, I think I'm the only one here. Pretty sure. Pretty sure. I'm pretty confident that I'm the one that fits this role. So we'll look in some brief detail as to what my job is biblically, and then we can close our thoughts out for the morning. Let's continue our thoughts in the book of Mark, chapter 16, together. I always go to Mark, I mean, Matthew chapter 28. Let's just go to Mark. Why not? Mark, chapter 16, beginning in verse uh, 14, for sake of context. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. It's a great way to encourage your apostles, by the way. Because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Verse 15, And he said to them, Jesus speaking to his apostles, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Here we have the commission of the first preachers, if you will. Again, there's that kind of crossover between the role of a preacher and the role of an apostle, especially in the first century. They were to go and throughout the entire world and proclaim the gospel or the good news to the entire creation. The whole earth, the whole world is in scope here, which is a huge charge. And then we go on from the preaching in verse 15 to the power in verse 16. Whoever believes and is baptized or immersed will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. One way that I have figured out how to phrase this in my common language to better explain the nuance here is, if you wish to be saved, belief and baptism is enough to achieve salvation. If you want to be unsaved or lost, unbelief is enough to condemn you. Very simply put there is verse 16. We have the preaching, verse 15. We have the power in verse 16. 
And then we have a promise beginning in verse 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new languages, they will pick up serpents with their hands. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And then the first part of verse 19, So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So we have this called Great Commission laid before the apostles, and some of which applies to the modern preacher, some of which obviously does not. Uh, if you can't tell the difference between what I can and can't do compared to the apostles, you put a snake in my hands and I can guarantee you'll see me cry like a little girl. I will scream out of here with the highest pitch voice you've ever seen. So the idea of what the apostles were allowed to do by the gifts of the Holy Spirit versus what they could continue to do past their, their death on this earth is quite clear in the context here. You have the preaching, verse 15. You have the power, verse 16, of salvation. You have the promise for the apostles in 17 through 19. And then we have the proof here in verse 20. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by the accompanying signs. So the apostles really set that bar quite high when it comes to what the work of a preacher is. To put it quite simply, this word preach here is a verb that means to herald, literally. Before you have a king making an announcement or arriving somewhere, you have that little trumpet guy, right, with the bugle or whatever it was. Do-do-do-do! my impression of that. <laughs> and he has someone announcing who the king is and where he's from and what he's here to do. That's the same kind of Greek word for someone who is a preacher. He is the one that heralds or announces the message for the king. And of course, quite ironically, we have King Jesus sending forth his preachers to herald his message throughout the entirety of the world. Now we have the commission in Mark chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 28, we also have a list of challenges set before someone who calls themselves a preacher. Let's go to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4 together. If you really want a detailed list, I suppose, of what it looked like in the first and second century for someone to be a preacher that was not an apostle, we look to Timothy and Titus, the so-called pastoral epistles. And we have the young preacher, Timothy. He was so young, he was like 35. And then we've got, which was funnier when I was 20 years old, by the way. It's not quite as funny now. We have Timothy, and then we have Titus being sent to Crete to establish an eldership. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, just in verse 5, he encourages Timothy with these words, As for you... Always be sober-minded or clear-thinking. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill or complete your ministry. So again, to break that down one final way, verse 5. Always be someone who is thinking clearly. Which is, again, a pretty high bar to hit. Think clearly about not just doctrinal things, but about your own spirituality. Endure suffering. In fact, we even encourage to rejoice in suffering. 
sometimes as Christians. Do the work of a good news bearer, is how it looks literally. Someone who carries or bears the good news or the gospel, carry it well. And then finally, fulfill or complete your ministry is better rendered complete with perfection your service. What you are called to do as a servant is to serve. So serve well is Paul's encouragement. So there's one challenge set before us to, as to evangelize. There's also the idea of our challenge to educate. Matthew chapter 28, just dropping towards the end here, in verse 20, we have the great commission that we read in Mark chapter 16. The same thing is said a different way in Matthew chapter 28, as I alluded to earlier. At the very end of that great commission, verse 20 reads this way, Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the world or the age. So the idea of not just baptizing people in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Father and the Holy Spirit and so on, but also to teach them to observe all the other things that Jesus talked about is a great challenge placed before a congregation, but it's usually given to the work of the preacher to educate those things as well. And then finally, um, one more challenge before us is what it means to edify. We drop back into our context of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ, that's one key role that we are given. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's usually part of the work that a preacher is engaged in is to edify the body of Christ. So to evangelize, to educate, and to edify is part of the challenge. And now we move on to our last point. Stick with me. We're at the finish line here. One more challenge placed before the preacher is not just the commission, the challenge, but also the cost. The cost. There is a certain amount that preachers are willing to sacrifice for their love of the Lord and their love of the Christians with which we serve. Now, I will say before we get to the actual cost of what it takes to be a preacher, to be someone in my, my role that you have to love the brethren and they have to love you right back. What I mean by that is it's not that much of a sacrifice to care for people that we love and that love us right back. I've been here for six months now. I'm going to tell you something. I love you guys. I have been with people before in a congregation to where it took quite a while to feel like we fit in and that we were a part of a real church family. It's taken no time at all here in Thomaston Road. There have been people that have sacrificed for us, have been there to encourage us, to support us, to help us with our children. When you love us, it's easy to love you right back. So this so-called cost is not that much of a sacrifice for you all. Just know that. Let's go to the book of 2 Timothy once again, 
chapter 2. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This verse doesn't say what I wish it did say, <laughs> despite what I was taught. If you have a King James Version of your Bible, then I'm sorry to break it to you. 1611 English does not quite compute to modern English the way that we wish it would sometimes. Because 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, if you have the King James, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. And the way that it was beaten into my brain is that's a proof text that says you should be studying all the time. And while it's true, preachers do need to learn and educate themselves quite consistently, quite often, maybe even more than the regular church member, if that's even a biblical place for you to be. It's not quite found in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 because of the Greek word here for study to show thyself approved unto God. That word study does not mean educate in a classroom. Literally, it's rendered better to be eager to show yourself approved unto God or to even the ESV, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. And so despite that small translation difference of do your best or be eager or even study in 1611, the idea continues throughout the rest of the verse. So let's keep reading verse 15. If you do your best to present yourself as one approved unto God, here is what defines you. You are a worker who has no need to be ashamed, and then here's the key for me anyway, rightly handling, or handling deftly, the word of truth. You want to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, well. It's your only offensive weapon when it comes to the whole armor of God. So if we are wearing the whole armor of God, the only weapon we have to wield is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word. You want to handle it correctly or rightly. So you must do your best. So there is study involved. There's also sacrifice. We go over to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. In verse 23. This does not just apply to preachers, it applies to all Christians, but as preachers, we also are Christians, if that makes any sense to you. Verse 23, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So there is study involved, there is sacrifice involved, and this is one that's, that was at the beginning quite challenging. There needs to be sincerity involved. Acts chapter 20 and verse 31. What we have here in this context is the Apostle Paul traveling back to Jerusalem and he wants to give one last rally or encouragement to the elders of the church of Ephesus, the book that we were referring to earlier. So he calls them down to Miletus where he is on the coast and he gives them a speech. And part of that speech is to encourage them to know what their role is to look after themselves, first and foremost, and to the flock of God. But also he uses himself as an example, 
a positive pattern to follow as someone who cares about the flock. And so in Acts chapter 20 and verse 31, he says, Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish or encourage everyone with tears. That shows the sincerity of love that the Apostle Paul had for the Christians that were in Ephesus. And as I've mentioned before, that sincerity can't be faked well. (laughs) If you love people, you love people. If you care about them, you care about them. If you're concerned about their eternal destination, then you're concerned about their eternal destination. If you're just doing the job and going through the motions, it's not quite the same as that sincerity that is required to do our jobs properly. And then finally, when it comes to the cost, their study involved, their sacrifice and denial of self, there's the idea of having that sincere love and concern for the people of God. There's also the charge for us to be steadfast. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and just verse 3, Paul quite simply puts it this way, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. So the role of a preacher in our modern day and age looks a little different than how it was in the first century with the apostles. But the roles that we fill, the jobs that we do, the ways that we serve the body of Christ are very comparable. There is the commission. We are called to go into the entire world and share the good news. There's the challenge placed before us to be able to do our jobs properly. And there's a cost that we pay by being willing to do the work that's required of an evangelist. And that's quite simply what the role of a preacher is biblically. So again, we have the elders that oversee the flock that are the busy body in your affairs, the ones that bother you so much you wish they'd quit, but they can't because that's their job. You have the deacons, the servants of the elders, to do their will, to do the work for the body of Christ. You then have the preacher who is commissioned to educate you and to encourage you and to go into the world and teach that gospel to a lost and dying world. And then next week, we will be breaking down what your particular role is based on your gender and whatever age you want to be associated with, either young or old. I'm not going to tell you which one you are because I like being here and having a job along with you. You get to fill in that blank to see what your qualifications are to be a faithful member of the body. I'm going to warn you, we don't often talk about that because we try to encourage everyone to be here and to grow and to serve. But the same kinds of qualifications that shows us what a good elder looks like We have similar qualifications that tells us what a good man or woman in Christ looks like. That's really going to be the key to be honest and real with yourself. Do you match those qualities or not? And that's the real goal here, is to show us room to improve, how we can be a better Christian, to be more Christ-like, and to help this body grow together into maturity of the fullness of the stature of Christ.
This morning, my job is to tell you what it takes to get to heaven. To share the good news that the Son of God loved us so much. He came to this earth and he did his ministry. He served by teaching, by preaching, by healing. But the ultimate way that he was here to serve is to be the Lamb of God. To give his life on Calvary's cross, to go into the tomb, and to three days later be resurrected. To give us a way to have our sins not just covered, but be truly washed away. If you've not become a Christian by putting on Christ in baptism, what are you waiting for? This moment is yours. The next is not promised to you. If you are a Christian who has stumbled and you've fallen into a life of sin once again, we are given grace and mercy. If we confess that sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That benefit is yours if you're in Christ. If anyone needs to put on Christ in baptism or to come back to him through prayer and repentance or to simply be encouraged for a struggle you have in your life and you want us to rally around behind you and lift you up before God's throne, please respond by coming forward as we stand and we sing.